Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Part of the Burlington Skyway is going to be off limits. The Hamilton Police email spoof remains a head scratcher. Former Ticat star Tim Cheatwood gets his due. We get an update on how Grey Cup ticket sales are going. The Ontario Chamber of Commerce looking for a new boss. And Taylor Swift continues to give Canada the cold shoulder. The JMH podcast begins now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. As you've been hearing... In the news this morning, the Niagara-bound lanes of the QEW on the Burlington Skyway will be closed tonight and every Friday night in July because of work that is connected to the Skyway Bridge. So the bridge is going to be closed tonight, uh, July 14th, the 21st, the 28th at 6.30 p.m. The full closure is in effect at 8 p.m. on those days, and it won't reopen until the next morning, 9.30 a.m., on the following Saturday. Steve Foxcroft is the Vice President of Fluke Transportation Group and joins us now on GMH. Steve, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Rick. Good to be with you on GMH. It's a pleasure. Pleasure to have you on the air. What kind of wrinkle does this create for transportation giants such as Fluke? I think it's exactly that, what you just said. It's a wrinkle. And like the Tiger Cats, we're resilient. Us Hamiltonians are resilient. So when this came at us, the first thing we looked at was each night in July uh, and how where, where are the conflicts. But I think we're okay. 80% of our trucks are either back here, home, or elsewhere on the road in the GTA by 8 p.m. each night. So it is going to be a little bit of a bump in the road or a wrinkle, as you called it. But, you know, we'll go up the 403, across the link, down the Red Hill, and then back in Nikola Tesla that way. And I think when we heard about it, too, you know, the word critical repairs of those expansion joints, it's kind of like I likened it to my car. I had just booked my car in for an appointment for some uh, maintenance on it, and it's the same thing. And I talked to my brother Dave about it last night, too, and he said, Steve, it's really good that they're doing this because otherwise, what's, what's the alternative? Well, the alternative is the bridge may be out of commission, like at Glenview School in Burlington, where the gym roof collapsed. (laughs) And then you're looking at things that aren't scheduled. It'll be closed 24 hours a day. It'll be consecutive days. It won't be planned. So the one thing about this that we do, like, it is planned, and they obviously put some thought into when they will do it to pose the least disruption. Now, One minor gaffe, Rick, that I think everyone, when they're listening to Shona on the news, we're all asking ourselves, well, wait a minute. Didn't they talk to the people at the lift bridge? Because, like, that's the number one alternative. I mentioned going up the 403, but for out-of-towners, I think they're going to be rerouted because they don't know. And with the lift bridge being restricted, that'll be, maybe that's a little gaffe that they could have thought of a little better. Maybe delay that till August to help us out. Well, and the other thing I thought of, too, and I'm I'm glad you mentioned that, you know, the alternative is 403 to the link, Red Hill Valley, QEW. Are are you allowed to go through the city? Would you even want to go through the city? That's right. Then with the new truck routes and so on, it would be, especially late at night, we don't want to go through the city, right, through residential and that. So our alternative would be really up the 403 across the link and down the Red Hill. But again, for out-of-towners, 
they may not know that as much. They may have a GPS that takes them another another way, or they might be bottlenecked trying to get over the lift bridge, like you mentioned. Steve Foxcroft is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Steve is the VP of Fluke Transportation Group, joining us here on GMH. Do you suspect any impact on the supply chain? I don't. It sounds like things won't really be slowed down that much. I don't think so. Most of the supply chain is in more of the Mississauga, Toronto area, and it's, it is 24-7 out there. But most of our guys, like I said, 80% of the work will be done by that. And then I think the rest of it is they'll treat it like, the, like what it is. It's a wrinkle. It's a bit of a nuisance, but we'll be resilient and we'll work through it. The other, time, the other thing is the timing of July helps us a little bit. Because people are already reduced. Some plants are shut down for their summer vacations and so on. So really, I have to applaud them for putting some forethought into it to pick this time frame to at least minimize it. Because it isn't something like you said, the lane reductions go into the full closure. It's not something where you could just do reduced lanes because those expansion joints do cross the entire bridge. So I do like it that way. And like Brother Dave said, the alternative would be much worse if we do have a failure of the bridge, a collapse or something that would need a closure through through consecutive weeks in the daytime. Then I'd be kind of waving the flag and going, hey, look at us here. We're struggling. So I do like it from that point of view. Yeah, definitely short-term pain for long-term gain. i got to ask you before we let you go, we got 30 seconds. Are we going to see you back on the NFL chain crew at Bills games this year? I am back. Uh, we start in August for a preseason game that's coming up. So we're excited about that. And we're also excited about the Cats tomorrow night. As Kyle told me at the office of the Ticats, we're starting a win streak tomorrow night. And then you can have all the happy callers on the fifth quarter afterwards. Well, listen, I predicted the Ticats would be 8-3 and three by Labor Day. So that means eight in a row. We're looking forward to it. That's perfect. I mean, <laughs> I'm signing up for that, too. Steve, have a great day. Thanks for joining us today. You, too. Thanks a lot. Steve Foxcroft is the vice president of Fluke Transportation Group. As you heard... They're ready for this QEW closure on the Niagara-bound Burlington Skyway. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. People are still, and not surprisingly, still talking about how Hamilton police got caught up in what has been an embarrassing spoof that also duped a couple of local media outlets this week. What we can say is that the email did not originate at the Hamilton Police Service and that it was uh, an email that was created to mimic or... uh, look like uh, one from the Hamilton Police Service. So that is Hamilton Police Constable Indy Barrage, uh, again, still trying to figure out who was responsible for sending out a fake police media release to some local media outlets. David Shipley is a cybersecurity expert with Beauceron Security and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. David, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm well. Can you wrap your head around how this could possibly happen to a police force? Oh, absolutely. Um, We see this every day in terms of not necessarily something of of getting a story out, but spoofing is a key component in a form of cybercrime known as phishing. That's where they send those malicious emails with either links, attachments, or trying to start up a conversation. And the from address in an email, because this was all designed back in the day when universities were just using the internet, you can say anything you want as the name 
name on that address. And, um, you know, that's what people see in their email client. But behind that, you can send it from a Gmail account, a Yahoo account, etc. So this is this is Cybercrime 101. What makes this story very, very interesting is it has an air of plausibility. Because remember, Hamilton has the distinguished uh, honor, I guess, maybe um, no, not so much of, of this, one of the biggest cyber crimes in Canadian history, where a teenager from Hamilton stole uh, $45 million in 2020 from a billionaire in, in Los Angeles. So, so it actually happened before. The idea that this would happen again um, is is kind of curious, but it's it's lightning in a bottle in the sense of it's plausible it happened before it looked real and remember newsrooms have been cut to the bone so people are just trying to get copy and stories out it looked good enough it seemed real enough this is social engineering 101 police are not only trying to figure out who is behind this but also the motive behind it what do you suspect the motive could be well, that is what has got my head scratching. Um, the only thing I can think of are two things. Number one, someone wants to embarrass the uh, Hamilton police force and media as revenge for the uh, the story in uh, 2020, 2021, 2022 about the uh, uh, now some uh, 20-year-old person who, who stole that $45 million. Um, so some kind of cyber criminal payback on this. Uh, the only other thing I could think of is um, if they thought maybe that this would um, cover the Google trail of the original story. Um, but besides that, the only third logical theory is, um, and there are a crew of people out there, um, some people just want to see the world burn and get a good laugh. And because Hamilton is famous, infamous in cybercrime um, circles in history as the site of this uh, this theft. Maybe someone just wanted to put a notch in their belt. Could be. David Shipley is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. David is a cybersecurity expert with Boceron Security. So what changes, if any, do you foresee police or even some of these media outlets that got caught in this spoof making? It, it, there are technological things um, that that probably can be set up, but none of them are, are trivial or easy. Um, and it's tough because, you know, if contacts change, like I used to be a crime reporter, right? So, you know, police maintain a, a list of, of reporters, newsrooms, et cetera, their email. They send these press releases out. They used to, you know, for us old school cats, send them out as faxes. Um, but now they come as emails and, um, you know, they could do things like, um, setting up encrypted email. So, you know, uh, recipients and such would have to, uh, verify that it actually came from them, but for the level of effort and work and everything else for it to happen, um, it, it probably would cause more slowdown and more of a negative impact on public communications, particularly potentially urgent public communications. Um, and it, it does highlight sort of. Um, a couple of challenges. Now, on the media side, there are some things that um, the media can do um, to sort of verify that incoming email is coming from the police department, and it might be easier on that side. Even things like training reporters on how to check the email addresses, um, those type of things could prevent this type of attack. Last one for you. You've got about 90 seconds. How can people protect themselves from getting spoofed? Because we're getting email all the time from, you know, everyone under the sun. What are some of the warning signs we should be looking out for? 
Well, they're getting better and better now with artificial intelligence and designs getting better. It used to be easy to say, look for spelling, grammar, someone offering you a lottery win or a, a prince from a foreign country. Uh, but now they're getting really, really good. So the best advice I can give is treat every day on the internet like April Fool's Day question everything and listen to your gut. If something is too exciting, too scary, uh, it's really trying to demand you do something right now, just take a breath and slow down. Using your emotional intelligence, listening to your gut can help you catch a lot of these um, scams. Great tips from David Chipley, cybersecurity expert, Boceron Security. David, thanks for the time today. You're very welcome. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, as the Tiger Cats hunt for their first win of the 2023 season tomorrow night against the visiting Ottawa Red Blacks, Hamilton is also preparing to welcome back one of its all-time favorite players. He is a Ticats alumnus of distinction and also the pride and joy of East Cleveland, Ohio. Ladies and gentlemen, former Ticats defensive end Tim Cheatwood joins us here on GMH. Tim, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm fabulous. How are you guys doing this morning? I'm good. What, what are you up to these days? Well, I live in Florida and I'm I own a gym and I own a cleaning service. So I'm actually pretty busy nowadays just being a regular, um, I guess, a civilian. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you from Cleveland to Hamilton to Edmonton at one point, now down in Florida. I'm sure the weather is much better down there. Yes, it is. It's beautiful. That's why I had to relocate down this way. You were fresh out of Ohio State when you burst into the CFL with the Ticats back in 2002, 21 years ago, believe it or not. You were, like all CFL rookies, a, a hungry, wide-eyed player in their early 20s. What was your first impression of the Canadian Football League, the, the, the city of Hamilton, when you first got here? tell the truth, I just didn't know nothing about it, per se. I knew our team in Hamilton had my rights, um, and that was it. I showed up to camp. We had a, a team full of great veterans, and it was all good, man. When I came up here, they treated me like a family, and they looked out for me, and it was a beautiful experience. You had five sacks in your rookie year. You doubled that in year two. You hit 14 in what was an all-star year uh, for you in 2004. You were a linebacker in college, and, and you were converted to D-end here in the in the CFL. Did the Canadian game fit your skill set? What happened was I didn't even play. Um, I played defensive end my last year of college. It was just like my first year ever playing the position, so I had some learning to do. So that rookie year that I got up there was my second year ever playing a position. It was just um, a lot of learning curves to you know figure out things and angles and things like that, the little nuances that you need to learn to play a professional um, sport. Tim Cheatwood is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Tim is a former Ticats defensive end, the Tiger Cats alumnus of distinction tomorrow night when Hamilton hosts the Ottawa Red Blacks. A pregame show, by the way, here on CHML begins at 6, kickoff is at 7, and after the game, uh, check out the fifth quarter brought to you by Eastgate Ford as we talk about hopefully a Ticats win tomorrow night. Now, as you know, football and camaraderie go hand in hand, those Long-lasting friendships are molded in the locker room and, uh, of course, on road trips as well. Do you remember your first couple of roommates? Um, I do. My first roommate was actually another rookie by the name of um, Lamont Bryan, as a matter of fact. And then I had Troy Davis was my next roommate. Me and him are still close to this day. I go down and visit him in Miami. He comes up when he comes to Orlando with his family. So that's one brotherhood. That, and actually, Orlando, um, actually, Lamont actually lives in Orlando as well. <laughs> so wow. I have two of my guys that, you know, you know, they're in Florida with me. So um, that's, that brotherhood goes on now. 
It's funny you mentioned Troy Davis. I was just talking about the Troy Davis like two days ago with a coworker. What is he up to now? Oh, he's being a family man as well. He's got his hands full. He's still having kids. You know, he's a new papa. Just had one, I think, believe last this year. He just had another kid, as wow. a matter of fact. So Good yeah, he's just doing that, being a proud dad and being a family man like everybody else. <laughs> Everyone who was around in 2003, this is year two for you in the CFL, remembers that one in 17 Ticats team. Not not a lot to write home about, but I mean, what a year from bankruptcy to the worst winning percentage in league history. The only victory was an overtime game against Nilon Green and the Saskatchewan Roughriders. And I know I'm recapping year to forget in Ticats lore, but what sticks out in your mind about 2003? Um. Yeah, that was one of my breakout years. It was just a lot of turmoil. It was just being able to be up, go out there and play um, for each other because there wasn't much else to play for. You know what I mean? Um, like you said, we went bankruptcy. We were looking for an owner at the time. I think that's before Bob um, actually bought the team. So we were just um, we were just out there, man, balling for each other. Um, pretty much me, again, learning the game and just um, learning my craft a little bit more and making the best out of any kind of situation that we had. We're chatting with uh, Tim Cheatwood, former Ticats defensive end, the Tiger Cats alumnus of distinction. Tomorrow night when Hamilton hosts the Ottawa Red Blacks, you can hear the game right here on 900 CHML. This is Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. The year later, it's 2004. You mentioned Bob Young. He buys the team in late 2003. He's the new top dog. Greg Marshall comes in as the head coach. Uh, Coach Lancaster moves to the GM role. You guys make the playoffs. And even though it didn't translate into a trophy at the end of the year, it really ignited a new era for the Ticats. Now, fast forward to 2023, you are fourth on the Ticats all-time sacks list with 41. You're behind legends, Grover Covington, Joe Monford, Mike Walker, three of the best all-time, not only in Hamilton, but the entire league. Now you're an alumnus of distinction. What does that mean to you? Uh, it's, it's great to, you know, somebody actually appreciate the work you put out there on the field. You know what I mean? Um, those 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 names that you um, named before me are all time greats, and I, I actually had the pleasure of playing with the greatest tie cat of all time. If you ask me, because I had the distinct pleasure of playing with him and learned so much from him. But you know, it was it was a pretty hefty feel to go out there and play with Joe. You know what I mean? Like he was a living legend at that point. He, his numbers don't lie. You know, he's 26, 27, 30 sacks and stuff like that. You know what I mean? So that was a great feeling. It's a great feeling to be honored from all the work and dedication that you put into this game. I know you're a busy guy. Are you still able to follow the CFL? Oh, yeah. I watch it every Friday, man. Ain't nothing on it right now anyway. <laughs> I'm a baseball guy. So I definitely I watch the CFL every Friday night and not Saturday. You know, they show it down here on CBS. And then with all the technology, you know, all the channels, you can get TSN anytime you want. So what would what would be your your message to the Ticats team? They're 0-3. They're looking for a win tomorrow night. What, do you, what would you tell the guys? I mean, at this point, you're not out of it. You know, it's a long season, man. You know, guys get on a high streak. Just got to believe in each other and believe in, in, in um, the things you're putting in at practice. And it'll come around, man. I don't think these guys are going to be no 1-17, nothing like that. I think they'll still be able to make the playoffs. They have about a bunch of great players out there still. So, man, just go out there and play for your brother, play for something, and, and go out there and kick some tail this week. It's great advice, Tim. Really appreciate your time uh, this morning. Best of luck tomorrow night. It is certainly a, a distinction that is uh, well-deserved. Uh, one of the legends in Ticats history. Thanks for the time. Oh, I appreciate you guys for having me.
Tim Cheatwood. Oski wee wee, baby. <laughs> Tim Cheatwood, former Hamilton Ticats player and alumnus of Distinction. Ticats, Red Blacks, tomorrow night pregame show on CHML is 6. Kickoff 7, the fifth quarter, brought to you by Eastgate Ford. We'll follow the game. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We all know that the Grey Cup is coming to the city on November 19th. It's the 110th edition of the CFL title game. Tickets went on sale to the general public about a week ago. So how are sales going? And and is the play of the team, I mean, they're 0-3, but we know it's a long season, but has the play of the team had an impact on ticket sales? Let's ask Jerry Fonzo. He's the general manager of the 2023 Grey Cup Festival and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Jerry, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. How are you? I'm good. So how are ticket sales going? Ticket sales are going great. We, uh, As you mentioned, we went on sale on July the 1st for the public on sale. As you know, leading up to that, you have it set it up with all your seed and seed holders and our pre-sales. Um, but yes, it's been a few days into the uh, on sale. And uh, and so far, everything's looking great. And, um, and that's what we're here today to talk about, a little bit about the on sale, what's new at the stadium. And maybe what fans can expect in the coming uh, in the coming weeks when it comes to announcements on the festival. Well, yeah, let's get into the festival parks. I know there's a lot of people interested in what's going to happen. What can you tell us? What's going to happen? Well, I can't give you a whole lot um, <laughs> right now. We're we're looking at announcing our festival in its full uh, full plans in about three or four weeks from now, so mid August. Um, at that time, you know, like you've been around a few times. There are a few great cups here, and in 2021. Um, our previous Grey Cup. Unfortunately, we had a few uh, with COVID restrictions. We weren't able to kind of pull all the stops out and and have quite the festival you'd like to have in your city. And uh, hosting the Grey Cup, you kind of have that obligation to, you know, raise that game to the next level. It's not just about the game. It's about the entire week and the experience for the fans. So uh, from a Hamilton experience, we're looking at, you know, bringing everything up, utilizing all the venues we can in our city, uh, making it very much a walkable festival, having everything very in close proximity, uh, but also trying to showcase the best of Hamilton, right? There's a lot of great things that we have going on in Hamilton. So what can we bring together into that week so we can showcase it to all the visitors that are coming in for that week to check out the game? The team is 0-3. Has that had any impact on ticket sales? Great, great At this time, sales. no. No, no, Rick. And I think right now we're we're very optimistic. We believe in Coach O, and I think we just got to follow the process. And like you said earlier, it'll uh, it all starts tomorrow night against Ottawa. The uh, the Grey Cup ticket uh, themselves were first offered to season seat holders, as is the usual case with any team that is hosting the Grey Cup. Did most, if not all, season seat holders scoop up those tickets? Yes, of course. Yeah, most, if not all. Um, and then there's always a few of them that kind of trickle in thereafter. But yes, for the most part, you're right. It's our, our seed and seed holder base is amazing and they embrace these types of games. And I think you want to take that opportunity because it's not often that the Great Cup comes to your city. Um, this case was a little bit different because of COVID, but um, now that we're hosting Great Cup and we're actually able to do everything the way we'd like to, especially within our stadium, right? We've our announcement last week when we went on sale, we basically told the world that of what we're doing within our stadium. And if I could walk, I'll walk you through it quickly, but in our south end, as you know, we're uh, we're creating our social 2.0. So we're basically raising our fans up around 20, 25 feet so they have an elevated view onto the field and to the scoreboard. Um, and then we've also listened to our corporate community. And we've added 12 suites along the south head wall as well. So kind of increasing that and keeping the stadium closed in on the south end. And then when you look at the north, same thing. How can we 
um, increase the capacity of our facility by adding some temporary seats around either side of the video board. So still a lot of things going on, but uh, we think that we've elevated the fan experience at Tim Hortons Field more so than a uh, than a regular game. We have 90 more seconds with Jerry Fonzo. He's the GM of the 2023 Grey Cup Festival. By the way, you can get your tickets online, ticats.ca forward slash Grey Cup 110. For those non-football fans, but they want to you know, attend the biggest event in the city this year and they want to go to the game, what kind of ticket price range will they be looking at? Great question, Rick. Yeah, so we've we've made sure our tickets are very affordable. So we have about three price points below $200. Um, and obviously fluctuate if you're on the 55 yard line or anything like that, they're a little bit more, but to your point, very affordable for the average fan that wants to get out there and check out the game. Um, and obviously, you know, as you mentioned, it's portion, a big portion of it is getting out to the game and watching the game, but enjoy the whole week. You know, we've all ran into a few fans that have flown in from different cities and they create it, they turn it into a vacation where they come on down for four or five days. Cause for us, great car, great cup week starts as early as Monday and plenty of events begin to kind of escalate when you get to Thursday, Friday, and Saturday with things going on during the day and the evenings, for, you know, free events for family, and uh, and obviously you take in an amazing game as well. It is the hottest ticket in town. Get your tickets today at ticats.ca forward slash Grey Cup 110. Jerry, thanks for the time today. Thanks very much, Rick. Appreciate it. Jerry Fonzo is the general manager of the 2023 Grey Cup Festival. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, after six illustrious years at the helm of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce, Rocco Rossi has announced that he's going to be leaving his post as president and CEO as of January of 2024. So let's ask him why. Rocco Rossi joins us here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rocco, good morning. How are you? Always a pleasure, Rick. Thank you so much. And uh, like the intro song says, these have been golden years. I've absolutely adored my time at the the chamber uh, to the point that uh, six years represents a stay that is one year longer than any other job I've ever held. Um, And I'm a big believer in in term limits and uh, allowing uh, fresh blood and energy to come in and also to give myself the opportunity to uh, to do another chapter and force myself to grow and learn new things. I mean, over over six years, a lot has happened in the last six years, as you know. Uh, how how challenging, but then how rewarding has this term been? Like my my dad. I think we lost Mr. Russell. Being oh. a leader in good times, it's in the bad times that uh, you earn your pay and your title, and clearly. Dealing with COVID has been uh, an enormous challenge, and I'm just so delighted we started. Uh, we started the pandemic with 134 chambers and boards of trade across the province as members of uh, of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce, and uh, today we have 155 chambers and boards of trade because they they saw the value that was being delivered, and I'm incredibly proud of the role that we played uh, throughout the pandemic. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Rocco Rossi, he's the outgoing CEO of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce, will be the outgoing CEO as of January 2024. Did you have a main goal um, or achievement that you wanted to hit when you first took on the job, and and did you hit it? It's a great question, Rick. Um, I mean, look, my first, uh, my first and foremost goal, whether it was here or in my time uh, in charity or in business uh, directly running companies is is really to work to bring an end to this notion that we have the community 
and the business community as kind of like two separate entities. And the reality is um, that the business community is a fundamental part of the community. Uh, there is no there is no distinction because our businesses are our main streets, are the people who donate to uh, the local local causes, who hire their friends and neighbors, who help to um, feed the uh, the tax streams that uh, end up paying for uh, all of the services that uh, we've come to enjoy and that we want for for our family, our friends, and our neighbors going forward. So to the extent that uh, we've been able to put that unifying face on it, um, you know, it's it's not always a straight line, but uh, but that that is my fundamental goal. So come January 2024, what are you going to be up to? What's next for you? Well, um, I, I don't have everything uh, set up. I, I will take some time for reflection. But, uh, for instance, this morning, um, there was an announcement that I'm joining the advisory board of the uh, Canada-EU Trade and Investment Association. And, and really, we signed this incredible free trade agreement with uh, the EU some six years ago. Uh, and we have not uh, leverage the full potential of that in those six years. Uh, European companies, uh, yes, trade has increased considerably, but it's almost two to one European selling more into Canada than the other way around. And so there's just so much upside for Canada, and particularly at a time when, as we're hearing from, uh, uh, from Secretary Yellen, who's in China uh, right now from the U.S., uh, that uh, we're entering this period of diversifying, not decoupling, but diversifying our supply chains. EU and other like-minded partners are going to be key critical partners for uh, Canada to diversify our markets, our supply chains, um, and achieve the, the goals we all want from the planet, from the green transition to the elimination of poverty. Hard to imagine that, you know, in this day and age, uh, by the sounds of it, uh, Europe is an untapped market for Canada, which uh, I'm sure is going to change now that you're with uh, this new group. So good luck on that. But I want to ask you, is 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 politics potentially in your future? No, I uh, I gave, uh, you know, a couple of attempts and, and, and voters twice uh, decided that uh, that was not my best way to serve their interests. So, uh, I continue to look for other ways to to serve, and I've been delighted at um, at the role I've been able to play and the, the people I've been able to work with at the Ontario Chamber of Commerce, including, you know, Hamilton is taking over the the, the chamber. Our vice chair is Wasuda Seth, a senior executive at ArcelorMittal from Hamilton, and and of course I had the great good pleasure of uh, hiring Keenan Loomis, the former um, CEO of the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce, is now our VP of uh, of member services and doing just a phenomenal job. Could you see either one of those taking on the CEO position? Look, I think we're going to have an embarrassment of riches in terms of, uh, of uh, choices for the position, both internal and external. That's left up to the board and, uh, and a great uh, firm, Odgers Birdson, is, uh, is leading the search. And one of the reasons I wanted to announce early is really to allow for uh, a very orderly transition and give the organization uh, the most time possible to uh, 
to put its uh, ducks in a row and, and get a phenomenal leader who will take the chamber, I am absolutely certain, to, to new heights. Well, you've certainly left it uh, in good hands, that's for sure, whoever does take over. Congratulations on uh, a phenomenal six years, and best of luck in your new adventure. Thank you so much for uh, doing this, Rick, and look forward to crossing paths again. You got it. Rocco Rossi, the outgoing CEO as of January of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce. Pleased to chat with him once again. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Taylor Swift launching her Eras Tour. It is said to be, expected to be at least, the first ever billion dollar tour, which is amazing. So, It's no surprise that our country, at least one of the individuals at the top, is saying, hey, Taylor Swift, why not bring your tour to Canada? Because she's touring around the world, whether it's Europe, Australia, uh, America, of course, but not Canada. And so just the other day, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, and I I think he's a secret Swifty, tweeted at the pop star and urged her to bring this much-talked-about tour Canada. So in his tweet, he paraphrased lyrics from the song you just heard. It's me. Hi, I know places in Canada would love to have you, so don't make it another cruel summer. We hope to see you soon. Will the PM's plea be answered by the pop superstar? Eric Alper is a publicist and music commentator and joins us once again here on GMH on 900 CHML. Eric, good morning. Thanks for waking up with us. Oh, happy to do it. Look at what you've made us do, Taylor Swift. (laughs) You've made our prime minister beg. Oh, what do you, you make? Know, what do you make of that? It's kind of cool, though, to know that people in government are human and that they are fans of stuff. Because we normally kind of just see them as punching bags half the time. But um, no, the 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 short answer to your question, it won't do anything. But it's kind of nice to see a little bit of fun worldwide headlines when it comes to Trudeau. It does make some sense in terms of we really would love to have her concert series here, not only from an entertainment perspective and, and you know, to have a pop superstar tour this nation is is always exciting. But from an economic standpoint, I mean, there is some huge economic impacts going on for these host cities. There is reports that this tour, as you mentioned, is not only going to become the first billion dollar tour, because I don't think Elton John is going to do it. He just crack through the 900 million mark with his goodbye yellow brick road tour but it has about 20 dates left and he he so i don't think that that's going to be possible but um you know when you talk about the the offshoot of the economy whenever taylor swift visits your your city your state you're talking about sold out hotel rooms um gas um restaurants parking food alcohol um, and then also local tickets that go into the local economy for the venue. So it it's not only getting Taylor Swift to make a billion dollars, um, but that local economy is set to make something in the neighborhood of $13.5 billion on this tour for all the places where she's played. Unfortunately, <laughs> I think Canada is just... It, it, we've got a lot of things that don't go well for us when it comes to superstar tours with their eyes on the prize. And Taylor Swift is being pulled in every direction right now. Not only is she the biggest selling artist on the planet, um, but she's certainly the most in-demand one. And when you're talking about Canada, there's not too many venues in this country that are 55,000 seat 
or 70,000 or 80,000 in the way of the United States or the UK or Mexico. So Taylor had to take a look at that and say, well, even if I just play Vancouver, Toronto and and, you know, maybe Montreal, um, that's still a far ways to go for just three shows to play in smaller stadiums when I can just play three nights in Los Angeles. In fact, she's doing six nights there. You mentioned the the uh, you know stadium capacity, and the only one that really comes to mind will be Commonwealth in Edmonton. But and no disrespect, Edmonton, but it's Edmonton. It's not Toronto. It's not Vancouver. It's not it's not those huge metropolis cities where you're going to have millions upon millions of people. D- d- which begs the question: Should we be building something like this? Um, it, I, you know. I think the Olympic Committee would have something to say about the use of stadiums afterwards. Um, you know, certainly the more I, I, I think that, you know, when you really think about it, there's not too many artists who don't come to Canada. Um, but certainly we can use a lot more larger venues. The problem is that what do you do with it afterwards? And the, you know, we've always seen with the Olympics that that they build these huge stadiums that just crumble afterwards because there's just no use for it um but you're exactly right you know even if edmonton has the stadium it's still not very close for her to get to it's not like that she can just hop on over to vancouver from playing seattle or winnipeg from minneapolis or even toronto and hamilton from from new york um there's still a visa charge for every single person, there's still a passport charge. There's a working visa that has to be done for each of those hundreds and hundreds of people who work on her team. Um, the Canadian dollar is still at a at a fairly low rate. We're talking anywhere between 30 and 35 cents on the dollar that Taylor Swift essentially loses every time that she comes to Canada. And those people need to get paid in American dollars. So not only is she making then 30% less than if she did somewhere else, but she has to pay her her team and her staff um, in American funds. So it's not as easy as people might think it is just kind of going over the border. She's bringing potentially a team of four to 700 people for every single show. And that's not even talking about maybe the, the people that actually put on the stage and the roadies and the tech people. Wow. Yeah. Massive show. And it's going to make some massive money as well. Eric, always appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Rick. We'll talk soon. You got it. Eric Alper, publicist and music commentator, offering his thoughts on uh, Taylor Swift's Eras Tour not coming to Canada, despite pleas from people like Prime Minister Justin Trudeau urging her to well, reconsider her decision. But as you heard Eric describe, there's a lot of factors that go into planning a global tour. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900 chml.com The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode, and make sure you rate and review.